Hey guys, George Mesa, Third Eye Edify podcast. I could not be more excited to have what I consider a living legend, a true genius of the world, a man of the people, Topher Gardner. He's here to talk about the things that he does and who knows where else we can go. So <laughs> um, I hope that you guys uh, know him. If you don't, you'll find, all, uh, you'll find out all about him now with our talk. And I'm sure you'll you'll come to love him just as I do. And definitely check out his website, topherhq.com. It's biocharisma. Is mm -hmm. it biocharisma or Topher? It's topherhq.com, right? It's topherhq.com. And my my podcast is the Biocharisma Podcast. Right, right. Excellent. And definitely go check out. If you go to the website, before you click on anything, you will see how amazing this person is and all the different things that he has his hands in. Um, every time I hear you on a podcast, you're talking about something almost completely different that you have yes. genuine <laughs> experience with, you know, real world experience, yeah. not just reading books. And I know you do that too, but it's incredible, yes. really. You know, I heard you maybe three years ago on Crow, you were talking about how you cultivate your bamboo based right. on the moon cycles and stuff. Was that three years? Was that even more than three years ago at this point? Yeah, it was early to, it was early 2020. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. So a bit over three years, you know, and I, and I, I was so enamored with the things you were talking about. I wasn't, you know, I knew what permaculture was, but this was like a whole new level. Mm -hmm. And to know that that is not all you did. I mean, that you'd think that that would be enough, but you do so much. It's incredible. And then well, I was, uh, I was on Crow too about a, a year after that. And, and then I heard you a few more times on other things. And like I said, you're always talking about something new and exciting. So yes. this conversation can go a billion different ways. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll try some rails and we'll see what happens, you know? So perfect. Perfect. Anything I missed, introduce yourself a little bit too, just in case no one knows who you are that, that's listening. Well, thank you for, it was a beautiful introduction. I feel very blessed and humbled because I, I've kind of fallen into everything that's so interesting. I can't say that I intentionally like fell into these things. I don't take credit for it. It's like, Almost everything that other people say is interesting, like moving to Costa Rica, that wasn't my idea. You know, getting, being in the middle of a tornado wasn't my idea. Being in the middle right. of a hur hurricanes wasn't my idea. Um, I did have some ideas like uh, learning about biochar. I'll give that little antidote. I, I was hired by... Um, the world's, I guess at the, at that time, they were the, at the forefront of whole food supplements. Right. And I was hired by the owner of that company to build him a super Adobe garden wall to his million dollar bamboo house. Right. And he wanted this garden wall to kind of have some of the astrological things that I'm into. Hmm. He wanted it to have uh, uh, he wanted to have both a sun and a moon dial in it. So I built these huge, like, I wouldn't say I, I use these old massive wagon wheels to act as my forms to build this snaking uh, garden wall in his wow. place. And the permaculturist that, that turned me on to this job, I would ride with him to, to this area of La Fortuna, right. which is like five hours away. And I was just complaining to him one day about composting because composting in the tropics is like it doesn't yield much and it's terrible hard work and it's dangerous. Wow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so I was complaining to him and he's like, hey, have you ever heard of Terra Preta? 
And I'm like, what's Terra Preta? And he, he went ahead and told me about the Amazonian biochar. And then it immediately in my mind, I was like, this is gold. Like, wow. no, because we don't have any carbon in our soil. Right. We're doing all this composting and we literally have no carbon in the soil here. So I immediately went into making biochar because that was just like, that made sense. That's like the things like I didn't, I didn't try to become a gardener, like an organic gardener or any of that type of stuff. It just right. like that fell in my lap. And so domes fell in my lap as a kid because when I was growing up, all the hurricanes that would hit South Florida, my dad was a builder. And my dad always pointed out that round buildings do much better <laughs> than square buildings. And my dad, you know, this is one of the topics that you wanted to talk about. My dad vehemently hated Bauhaus architecture. Hmm, right. And he went to school, uh, he went to University of Florida State. And when he was there, they were teaching the Bauhaus methodology of, of architecture. Right. Which was essentially just like Prussian schooling locks you in a box, like a conceptual box. The Bauhaus method of architecture locks you in a actual geometric box. <laughs> right. And he couldn't stand it. Like his his natural way, like he's I'm very artistic like he is. My sister's very artistic like he is. Right. And even though he built square things, he was always like rounding corners or putting, you know, uh really cool angles or features he at a at a young age i was exposed to feng shui right. you know right yeah <laughs> even though we grew up in the christian faith he had like a buddha and like he always wanted like when you'd walk into the house to see a water feature like a prominent water feature like i i just had all this stuff sort of secondarily always swirling around me right. and then growing up as a young man it was a lot of fun because he would build these skyscrapers and inevitably like every few years we would get a hurricane or, or a tropical storm. And so as a little, little boy, he's like, Hey, you, you want to go see some, you want to see us test these, these big glass panes hurricane tested. And all that really means is they make a bullet out of a, out of a two by four. Really? And they shoot it at these, at these glass panes to see if they could handle whatever their wind rating is. Oh, that's cool. And I was like, you know, any little boy would find that to be like the most amazing <laughs> thing ever. Of so course. I grew up with all this stuff secondarily and he never pushed it on me. In fact, growing up, I thought, oh my God, my dad's always stressed out. I would never go into construction. <laughs> right, right. Um, but he, he had all these like little tidbits. He's like, you know, if you're ever going to build a house, don't, don't get a mortgage, you know, just collect the materials for as many years as you need to. And if you need to just with one other person, build, build it yourself. Like there was all these like little, like, it was just cool, like yeah. very practical things. And then in 91 hurricane Andrew mowed over South Florida, obliterated it. And um, I got my first real taste of disaster capitalism uh -huh. because the economy in South Florida at that time was really struggling. And then right. after Hurricane Andrew hit, like everything boomed. Wow. And I was like, like everybody was so happy that the hurricane hit. <laughs> right. And I was like, 
if for me as a kid, as a 15 year old kid, even my best friend and I, we like, we, we bought chainsaws and we rode around our neighborhood and cut up people's trees and we made a lot of money Wow, doing that. And so I was like, wait a minute, there's this thing. Like, it's like, you know, without, you're not going to make an omelet without cracking some eggs. And, you know, there's this thing called planned obsolescence. And I started learning about planned obsolescence and that rolled back into the ball house method of construction right? because they, the whole system is built to fail in a short period of time. Right. And the reason why that's doing that is because there are so many people that need work. <laughs> right. There, there are so many people that need um, in in the layer of inefficiency that we swim in, there are so many people that need to have menial and lower paying jobs. And then you have to have the, the white collar jobs above that to finance it. Right. And, but the whole system I could see at a very young age was actually, it, it was very sick. Like, like the system as a whole, let's build boxes out of the cheapest materials that make people sick that will, that won't last that long. And will and we can charge a lot of money for, we can give them a mortgage, <laughs> right. finance them for their entire life. And then at the end of it, when it comes to the state sale, the state taxes, we'll just take, take everything back that we gave to them anyway. <laughs> sure. Yeah. At the end and of the so, day, changes. I had a little bit of gusto because of sports, but even when I was in sports, I got a scholarship to, to kick at Michigan state. I could see the machine even was in that, like yeah. even in college sports, the machine was so obvious and I pretty much just opted out in my early twenties. I just decided, no, I'm not. I took the vow. I took the the Hippocratic oath where I, I wasn't going to cause any harm. And when I, when I learned about what the money system was, I got rid of all my credit cards. I got rid of my bank accounts. And then I ended up moving to Costa Rica broke. Yeah. <laughs> when I say, but when I say that, I, I, I didn't have this sense of like, oh, I'm going to starve. I've never had that. Even though I didn't have any like monetary, you know, credit notes or anything like that. I kind of, I was so sincere within my being that like, I wasn't going to cause any harm. I chose the profession of massage and building because those in those two professions, I'm giving directly to somebody. They can right. see directly, they receive immediately. Like it's right there. There's nothing abstract about it. <laughs> sure, sure. And it's You're not hiding behind anything either. Right. And it's like, here it is. And I really, I really thought that there was a high level of integrity with that. But I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs> so I I I I I can't frame a, a square wall to save my life. But <laughs> if you ask me to like build a curve wall out of ferro cement or out of super adobe and you want a flower roof instead of like some sort of square peg roof, right. I'm your guy. Right. So that's, that's essentially where I'm at. Wow. That, you know, that answers a few questions I may have had actually, because um, 
especially with the way the background looks. I know you can't see the whole thing, you know, everyone watching, but I've got a, a newish style U.S. Western home and I have uh, one of Tover's hanging out in the back and again, one that you'll see at the website. And I, I was, the first question was going to be why, you know, why did we move on from all the architecture of the ancient world seems to be anything but these rectangles, these squares, you know, mm-hmm. and it seems as if the energy is all wrong to begin with just from the way that it's manufactured. I, I wrote a right. little like side note, sort of anecdotal comment here of when grandma cooks, even if she gives you the recipe and you go make it at home, it's not going to be the same. You know, yeah. grandma puts her love into it. We're yeah. buying these houses and no one cares. They're making, you know, five a day in some spots and they're, or at least framing them. You're getting houses that they're not made for you with love. They're just, here's a box, you know, rent them, rent it for a while. And maybe we'll give you a fenced yard or not, you know, and, and it seems so, um, so indicative of the dissolving of the family unit in this country as it is. It seems like it's playing a major factor in it, mm-hmm. you know, whether people realize it or not. They might blame Mer- Mercury retrograde or something for a fight in the house, but it might be, it might be because you're sitting in the angles of sorrow the whole time, you know? Yeah, definitely. The, the whenever anything goes too commercial, too corporate, it loses its love. Right. You know, it really does. Like I've had the benefit of only building bespoke designs and by bespoke, meaning either I designed it privately for my client or another architect. It was a one off. Sure. And there's there's only one. I've never repeated anything that I've ever built. Hmm. So the artist lives in that. Right. Yeah, you know, I uh, I learned a lot from uh, a German uh, bambooista. It's it's kind of funny, like living in in Central America. Central America has this embarrassment of natural riches, and those natural riches, the natural capital, is from the trees to the bamboo to the people. Like, there's just so much of all of it, right. you know. But the one thing that they lack is innovation. There, there, where I was in Central America, there was still a very, very strong plantation slave mentality. Wow. So people only wanted to do what was, what was absolutely necessary in it for themselves. And they only wanted to follow an order given to them by, by an authority. Like there was no thinking outside of the box. Sure. And so a bunch of us gringos had been descending on that area for a long time because it was so pretty. Like it's uh, just an absolutely stunning area to be. And I think we started to bring more innovation. And one of my German friends, who's this incredible bambooista, he was building this cathedral out of bamboo in the Osa Peninsula. And it was like a building really meant for nothing. Like right. it didn't really serve like an actual function. <laughs> <laughs> right. Other than just being beautiful, other than just like walking underneath it and being like, wow, this is like exceptionally stunning. And I've worked with a bunch of bambooistas that built tons of buildings that were just extremely beautiful to look at, but impractical. And I was like much more of a practical person and like building to live. Right. Right. And, and I was talking to him and he's like, Topher, he's like, you, you should not 
you're not a contractor, you're an artist. And he's like, you should charge by honorarium. And I knew this term because my sister is an artist. Right. And my sister makes her living off doing portraits and graphites and oil paintings. And I was just like, I'd heard that term honorarium, but nobody had ever said it from a construction perspective. Sure, sure. And he's like, you're building living art. He said it, he actually said it in a German tone. He's like, live in art. He's mm -hmm. like, you're building in live in art. Right. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, that's right. All this is bespoke. Like none of this is, there's no copy of a copy of a copy. And like, even though people are building these track homes and stuff like that, and they can get really, really, really good at, you know, using the nail gun and framing and all this stuff. Problem is, it, most of that stuff is a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And right. we all know how that goes. That's really not how nature works. Like I was just picking leaves with my daughter today outside. Yeah. And from afar in the tulip tree, it looks like all the leaves are the same shape. Right. But as we're picking each one, they're all different. Right. Every single one of them is different. And I think that's why nature is so resilient is because everything is nuanced. Everything is different. There, it might be similar, but it's different. And that's something that I hope to impart with anything that I create is like, okay, this is a very unique creation. It's not going to get copied. Yeah, right. No way. <laughs> and if it does get copied more power to whoever copies it. Sure. But overall, um, that really leans away from the mentality of building a box because the standardization of materials, I think, is what actually led to this absolute infatuation with boxes. And now I see because they they're pushing this tiny home thing on people. Yeah. I see people like I'm constantly getting messages from people about me building them. You know these these um, what are they called? Um, they're the container homes. Oh, right, right. Like container homes are on the range. And I'm like, I don't want to live in a microwave box. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. I, man. I've seen really cool ones. And I've, sure. I've, I've helped people modify their containers and stuff like that. But I'm like, don't you see that you, they're, they're really wanting to push this agenda of you being in a space that has eight vertices and you're enclosed? Yep. And you're a musician, like, you know, the difference between when you're playing in an arena or in a, in a venue that has nice curves, nice lighting, you know, maybe it even has like the amphitheater effect. Sure. It's completely different than yeah. you playing in a place that has low ceilings, bad lighting. Maybe you can hear the, you know, the kitchen from the uh -huh. restaurant behind you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like. TVs, there's TVs everywhere. Oh, yeah, it's not it, the way to do it. Yeah, it, it's a totally different thing. And the problem with humans is we're too resilient as it is. Like we're like roaches. Yeah, right. we can. <laughs> we, we, we get glyphosate tossed on us. We right. get put in these, <laughs> you know, gypsum-based buildings, and like, right. you know, just everything has formaldehyde. Yeah, we just keep we keep pumping. You know, it's true. And true. 
like I have to, I've had clients that literally have sensitivities that are so out of this world. That, that, that's why I had to learn technologies of building walls that were, you know, two feet thick. Hmm. learning learning the technologies of like using biochar to emf shield like learning all these different things how to condition water in a way that takes out all the toxicity of the water i had to learn all that mainly because i was dealing with like clients that required that wow like th their their level of need was at that level and their level of sensitivity was at that level. Like they sure. could not be in spaces that were toxic. I'm kind of like a, I don't know. I'm not a canary in a coal mine. Like, I mean, I'm like that with people, but like my physical stature, you could literally put me in the middle of like a nuclear waste pile and be like, Oh, Hey, <laughs> what's happening? You know, <laughs> right. it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really affect me adversely in that way, but I'm, I've had so many different clients that if there is any type of distortion in their field, their, their own biology will not allow them to be in that space. Right. No, I think that goes a long way for, well, a lot of the problems that people are taking pills for, they think that you know, the solution is there and it's often things that people like you figure out for them. Yeah. Like maybe you got to change your water and your environment and who knows what else, you know, there's, there's often environmental issues first and oh. foremost. First and foremost, like, you know, I, for, for four years, I was a part of an ashram that was called, it was the, its core tenant was the teaching of Vedanta Advaita, which is the path of non-duality. Hmm. So I spent a lot of time focusing on the I am, like what, who am I? And I finally got to, at the end of four years, I was in this space and I was like, I got to the core of I am, like the, the, the consciousness, the, the fourth wall. And the fourth wall is there for all of us all the time. It, and it's like the fish being wet. The fish doesn't know it's wet. <laughs> right, right. Our fourth wall is always there. Like our consciousness precedes everything. And we have these experiences. We have these vibrational fluxes and all this stuff. But who we actually are, like our core, is prior to all of that. But the funniest thing occurred was coming out of that first veil coming in from the fourth wall into let's just say three-dimensional reality right i had this full experience i'm like oh in materiality i am all of this like me and my environment aren't separate right and when i had this when i had this realization it was so apparent i was like okay my POV is coming from this point, but right. if I was standing in a fire, I would be on fire. I so see. in the, in the physical realm, in the 3d, you know, three axis realm, my environment and I are one. It, it is one. And when I come across a sentient being, I'm not saying that I'm totally that being, but that being and me now are sharing space. And 
if we share space long enough, our vibratory patterns will sync. Sure. And, you know, we will still have our own point of view, but that's that's why relationships have, you know, uh, <laughs> oh, that's a whole nother thing. But the the polarity, you can lose polarity in relationships, especially in heterosexual relationships, because yeah. if you're always in in and around the being that you're with, you will sink, you will come to neutral. Right. You will share the same resonant pattern. So I came to that full recognition of like, I am my environment. And right after I had that full recognition that, oh, I am my environment, I moved to Costa Rica because <laughs> I was like, South Florida is not me. Sure. Like where I was in South Florida, I was like, this, this does not represent me in the slightest. And God love my wife, because even when we travel together and we go see family, I'm like, I have like a three day window where I can be in somebody else's space mm -hmm. before I start to go nuts because, because sure. I'm not that I'm literally not that. And I can feel, and I can, I'm running all these energies and I'm like, uh, <laughs> and so when I'm with, when I'm with clients, you know, it's amazing. I'm like, I ask these questions of like, what are you trying to accomplish? Like, mm -hmm. what is it that you want? Like, what do you, depending on what it is they want to build and right. like really like zoom in and like get into the nitty gritty with them, depending on what it is, because, you know, people might say that they want a dome home. And then I'll bring up the question. I'm like, do you realize that at least one third to one half of your wall that you're dealing with inside the dome will be curved. And they've never done that. Sure. 3d modeling in their head. <laughs> right. They're like, what, what, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Like, like think this through. Do you really want a dome home? Cause yeah. most people don't know why they want what they want. And because they don't know why they want what they want, they go into things blindly and then they might have buyer's remorse. Yeah. And because I'm an artist, I refuse to deal with, with buyer's remorse. <laughs> sure. No, I get <laughs> like, it. This is my art. Yeah. 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 If you want to make it, it's gotta like, be metric you're twice. Not buying, you're not buying a track home. This I'm, I'm emotionally invested in this. Right. So you're going to catch my, you better catch my drift with what I'm telling you. Cause this is like, sure. I'm pouring my heart and soul into this. Right. And anyone that uh, just heard you for the first time today now sees that, I think, very clearly, you know? Yeah. Pouring like, your heart and soul into this conversation, you know? Yeah. It's like, I, I'm, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not doing this for profit, for money per se. Mm. Like, I'm doing this because this is a creation that I believe in. And so... And that's done, I have to say, and that's probably why, like, when I, when I, those moments in my life where it seemed like I didn't have any money, I never felt poor. Because I think when you come with that level of, I'll, I'll talk about it in a personal way. Mm -hmm. When I'm fully emotionally authentic and invested, the universe always answers. There's never been a time that God has like left me out on out in the rain 
and said, no, you dipshit. How dare yeah. you fully be authentic? <laughs> no, every time I've been a hundred percent authentic and like totally new balls to bones, what it was that I was getting into God's provided. The universe has been like, boom, here you go. Right. Here it is. And I constantly try and teach people. I'm like, I don't know the how of things a lot of the time. I know the what mm. and I know the why, how it's going to happen. I'm like, and let's when, see. You know, <laughs> yeah, when could be tomorrow or a month or a year. You never know. And you have to trust. trust yeah, like the plan. We started the trust, the trust the plan. Like my journey into those arcs, like I, I thought it was going to be one way. Yeah. And after gauging it for nine months, it's still going to go in that direction, but it looks a totally different way. <laughs> right. So I, I don't pretend to know the how of it. I just know the what of what I want to accomplish. And because I believe so strongly in the what of it, the how comes. That's, 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 the, way my, that's the way my existence has been rolling as of late. That's very cool, man. You know, you're <laughs> you're providing fundamental life lessons right now at um, a level that has existed in a large quantity in the past, apparently, as far as we can tell. But lately, it's been different, you know. And even if somebody doesn't do what you do necessarily, they can hear what you're saying and look at their own life and what they do, and they can apply these things almost right away. You know, you're you're really giving a perspective that's very important nowadays mm -hmm. because a lot of people are, and I mean, they train you from it's, it's what the department of education does. They train you to, you got to be the best. You got to knock the next guy down. Just do it on your own. You know, I, I didn't have a lot of team play when I was growing up in school. And when we did one person did all the work and everyone got the same grade, you know? So you, you don't know, really get to learn that. I have this like weird thing. I've just realized as of like the last month, that is something that other people don't consider or don't think of the same way, at least in the Western mind. I've never really been competitive. So I've been put in very competitive situations mm -hmm. and I, I could perform in competition very, very well, but I was much more like a sniper, you right. know, like as a kicker or a striker, like in the in the in those sports, you're not really part of the team. You're just like a paid assassin. Yeah. And that's what I was. I was like an assassin. You know, I had my own routine during practice. I didn't do what everybody else did. I didn't have the same mentality as everyone else. I had one job in both soccer and football, and that was to put the ball in the back of the net. So as an athlete, I never was really dealing with competition. Right. Like I had guys, like I remember when I went to Michigan State, I walked out onto the field and the four guys that were ahead of me on, on the team, they were all older. They were all bigger. Like they yeah. were all like between six foot one and six foot four, anywhere from 210 pounds to 240 pounds. Wow. And I'm this five foot nine, 180 pound guy. And they're right. booming the ball. They're booming, 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 booming. And I'm like, oh, I'm never going to see the field <laughs> right. ever. Like these guys are like NFL caliber. Like these guys can kick. And I felt ease. I didn't feel a sense of competition. What I felt in my system was like, oh, 
they're better than I am. Right. It's just like the other day finding out that one of my local friends is, has his biochar factory. I'm like, I'm not sitting there disappointed. Right. I'm like, oh, one less thing I have to do. <laughs> right. Thank goodness I don't have to go into production. Like I can let this dude do it. Wow. But the, the funny thing was, was in the football was none of them could perform in front of people. Uh, so in practice, they were like these magnificent uh -huh. stallions, just, just NFL and plus like things that you've never seen. Right. And then the, the second scrutiny is the second eyes got on them, they would cower. And so it like for me with, with the way I am is I just know what I really want. Like I know what really turns me on. Right. And I know the why of why it turns me on. And I kind of feel like the Merovingian yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like the matrix. Right. Where, you know, you know, Neo and Trinity and Morpheus come in front of him. And he's like, so, so why do you want the key maker? Uh -huh. And they're like, uh, uh, well, you know, the Oracle told us to go get the key. He goes, this is not why. <laughs> that's why you have nothing. Right. Isn't that one the orgasm cake? Isn't that that? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's so true. People don't have the why. And the why is the juice, man. Yeah. The why is the power. Like, I know why I build domes. And it's not for it's not for personal benefit. It's not for this is my career and I'm going to make my money and I'm going to have my 401k. And that's all bullshit tertiary crap. Sure. That if that's your focus, you're going to build boxes and yeah, maybe you, Hey, the world needs box builders. Sure. But they come with shackles of mortgage, you know, for me, I know why I biomimic. I know why I make biochar. I know why I do these things, why I condition water with spirals and magnets and all this stuff. And it's in, and that is like that, that in and of itself, the act in and of itself provides nourishment for me. And so that has given me because I, I actually get nourishment directly from the act itself. I've never worried about the secondary enrichment. Right. Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's, it's the opposite of most people because of the, of the 401k life and things like that. But I, I was hoping that everyone would or most people would see the light thanks to what happened in the past three years. They would see that, oh, these things can fall apart at any second. Oh, they'll get their opportunity very soon here. It's coming again, right? And I, <laughs> unfortunately, it looks like it is coming again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it's all like under surprised. the guise of climate change. Yeah, of Ooh, course. We got, we got, we got to, we got to do these cryptocurrencies because of climate change. Right, right. Yeah. Yep. Regulations amidst everything, and a lot of other countries are just kind of doing their own thing all of a sudden too. As far as the world stage lets us see. And that's a little scary too, but you know, it's all coming. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I think what almost happened is most people almost lost their pensions and their 401ks and their, their jobs, but not everyone. And I think a lot more is going to come this time around, unfortunately. I don't think people actually understand it all died in 2008. Right. 
like right. we're like the zombie the reason why all the zombie movies and shows came out over the last 15 years is because the american empire is a zombie the empire itself is a zombie it's the walking right. dead it's literally like i knew by my junior year in college that i didn't want to kick for i didn't want to play any more sports sure but for the next four years i had work in that field just because i had so much positive momentum right but i was literally a zombie my heart wasn't in it my sure. heart was in the yoga and the massage and the meditation and all those things yeah you were and, stuck at the technician level right so the the United States as an empire, and I don't look at it as like the, the continental United States. I look at it as like the corporeal yeah. idea of empire of the military wing of the greater corporation, mother corporation. That is a zombie. And that's why people have been infatuated with zombies forever. Yeah. And that zombie, it's it's dead it is the walking dead and so the the debt cycle for the people that created the debt cycle in their own writing they said this system can only last 90 to 100 years right i recall that's it and we're pretty much there right now no we're past it it's like yeah it's 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 time it's time, time and so this is why the why makes such the difference if you're doing something because you think you're going to get remunerated by someone else, when the cycle really shuts down, you're fucked. Right. Zero. Nothing left. So you need to do things that you know actually nourish your being as a living being. If you're if you're doing the like whether I'm living in Costa Rica, South Florida, or the Missouri Ozarks, I'm still going to be making biochar. I'm still going to be vortexing my water. I'm still going to be doing my organic gardening. I'm still going to be playing with curves and bending metal and doing all this stuff. Because that stuff nourishes me no matter what. Whether some external source pays me for that or not is immaterial to me. Mm -hmm. It's immaterial. And so I think that's going to be, dude, George. Yeah. When in, what was it? 1993, I had an internship with American Express, hmm. SROC, Southern Regional right. Operating Center. I had a summer internship. I was one of four high school students in all the United States to get an internship with American Express. I worked all summer trying to impress the VP that was above me. Right. And I'm like, you know, I learned all this computer programming language. I did efficiency charting of, of our credit bureau unit. And the day that before, you know, my senior year started in high school, it was like my last day. It was actually right. the Friday before the, the following Monday. And she was going to take me to lunch and I handed in my report and I was so proud. I put my full summer into it. And I was like, right. She flicked through it like 10 seconds. It's like, yeah. And threw it on her desk. She's like, let's go to lunch. <laughs> I was pissed. Yeah. 
and she could tell I was fuming. She mm-hmm. knew she knew me by then. And she's like, why are you so mad? This is like your your goodbye lunch and all this stuff. And I'm like, you didn't even look at my report. Like I like I poured my heart and soul into this thing. Like I did this and like you didn't even look at it. And she's like, oh, yeah, we know. We know. We know what's in there. Yeah. Thanks. And I'm like, <laughs> and then, you know, I'm I'm 17 year old kid. I'm naive. I'm like, well, if you know what that report's saying. Why do you staff 25 people during the day when nobody's home to receive phone calls? Right. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Like my report says that, no, like if, if it's a corporation and you're here for profits and you're here to make money and all this stuff, like, you know, you don't need, she's like, we don't need any of them. We hire them as a tax relief for our profit. Boom. Yeah. That, oh man. As a 17 year old, I was just like, what? Yeah. Get me out of here. Get me out of this room. And like, in like, I had seen JFK, like the, the Oliver Stone JFK, yeah. like yeah. a year earlier or something. Right. That came out like 91, maybe 92. And so that was like my first, like, real, like, Mr. X, like, real conspiracy. And then, like, with my father showing me how corrupt, you know, South Florida construction was and how all these buildings were being built on cocaine money and all this stuff in the eighties. And then that moment was like, this is a facade. This is a veneer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to do anything as a facade. I'm not going to take 40 hours a week and put it into something that means nothing to me. I'm not saying what I'm doing means anything to anyone else. I'm just saying I'm not going to take a third of my weekly hours and put that into something that means nothing to me. That is like the worst thing that could ever happen. That is being a zombie. That is like being dead. I won't do that. It is. And it typically turns into 50 plus hours. It's really... 40 hours and you know if if you if you default to that if you default to that you kind of get what you deserve now i'm not saying that people aren't in hard situations i don't think all of us are here for the same reasons i think there's so many different you know million ways to skin a cat and each one of us have these very specific paths but for me as 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 somebody that that made the conscious decision a long time ago, there's another great line in the matrix that I always use. It was from the Oracle. And she says, you can never see past the decision that you're not willing to make. Hmm. So there's so many people that aren't willing to like, if lockdowns happen again, they have mask mandates. They're not willing to not wear the mask because they're not willing to make the decision to say fuck you to their the, the secondary employer. Yep. They won't bite the hand that feeds them. Well, what That's if true. there was no hand that feeds you? Right. What if what if your direct jurisdiction with your creator is the only hand? What if that is the juice? Yeah. Then I don't know. This this this, this thing we live in kind of morphs. 
it, it, it starts to do some different things. Sure. Sure. It starts to look a lot, a lot better. Yes. <laughs> Very quickly, as a matter of fact. And usually it's not that, you know, Atlas shrugs and suddenly the whole world shakes, but when people remove this from themselves, this, this weight of this, uh, the, a deaded life, you know, they, they just suddenly become who they are almost immediately. It seems, yeah. you know, they're like, Oh, I, I guess I always really was loving this and very good at this or whatever it happens to be. Your, your life changes immediately. Just like when you say the same exact thing to your spouse or your wedding vows, like you changed my life forever. As soon as I met you, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing with this, when you remove this idea that I need this mm-hmm. or, I mean, if you, if you think that you need to make $500,000 a year, then maybe you'll get yourself to that point. But who are you screwing in the process? I mean, nobody makes that kind of money without somebody else suffering. It's, right. it's really absurd. It could come your way, sure. But the way that they do it nowadays, I mean. And that's the thing, the value for value thing. So I have friends that they make very good livings and what mm. they're doing is noble right? You know, in a certain way, in the way that they dedicate themselves to it. But they'll be selling a material that is hyper toxic. And so they'll make a great living and they'll provide for their family, which is noble, but they're not going to live past 60. (laughs) Right. They're not going to be around to really see it. That's right. Because there's something within their being that's making that trade off. Like they're being, there's something in their being that's saying, okay, my value is to provide for, for these beings and that's it. My own well-being isn't, isn't part of the equation. Right. Because I, if I don't do this, I lose my mortgage tomorrow. And then it goes back to that whole thing. People aren't willing to, they cannot see past a decision that they're not willing to make. So if they're not willing to say, hey, I'm not going to sell toxic things, then they'll never see the information that would make them healthy. Very good point. It's a very good point. It, so, oh, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. So to me, it's like, it was very important to me early on when I saw how so much of the financial world, because I worked for a very large insur- insurance company when I was in college, they showed me exactly what American Express showed me. Yeah, right. All these white collar jobs are not existent. They're not real. My dad was showing me these massive financial buildings being built all throughout Florida. We're just there as, as a hedge for these for the CIA and the cocaine runners. These massive bank buildings, like 30, 40. Right. Huge. They were they were shell buildings. They were literally shell companies, like shells. Actual shit, right? You know, I just said that too because we just traveled back to visit New York and we came back, you know, to Kentucky, which we just moved here, as a lot of my viewers, I'm sure, know. And we, you know, we were passing this one building, and it said some bank I've never heard of, some local bank. You know, it wasn't like one of the big boys, and it was humongous. Yeah. And I was saying, I, are, there, are these offices even filled? No. Who is sitting in these rooms? They don't need that staff. It's impossible. So you have these ma- no massive buildings. And let's just talk about from an environmental impact perspective. Okay. 
where I'm from in Fort Lauderdale, I went to go visit my parents for a little summer vacation. They're building a condominium right on the New River. The New right. River is a very small river in Fort Lauderdale. It's concrete block, 40 stories up. And it's right next to the tunnel of US-1 going underneath the New River. Right. And I was remarking to my stepfather, who's 86 years old, I was like, how can the weight displaced from this, how can the new river in the tunnel handle this? This tunnel was built back in the day when US-1 was two lanes <laughs> and there were no condos above three stories. They're literally building a 40-story. And I'm like, in the occupancy, like you look at all these right. buildings at night and there's maybe 15, 16% of the, the apartments lit up. Right, right. There's nobody in them. And so it, it's all this extra speculation and derivative and um, what's it called? Money laundering and, and tax rebates for massive corporations. All of that. What I see is happening now is a, it's a it's a genteel apocalypse. The apocalypse is the revealing. Yeah. It's revealing the truth. And the truth is none of this shit's necessary. I talk to so many clients and they'll they'll come at me saying that they want to be environmentally sound. And I'll, I always ask three times. I'm like, do you really want to be environmentally sound? Right. Yes, we want to, the least embodied energy and they'll do the spiel. You right. know, they've got the, the conditioning from whatever, you know, TED talk they listen to. Uh -huh. And I'm like, don't build. I'm the worst construction salesman ever. <laughs> don't do it. Because I'm like, you shouldn't do it. <laughs> I'm like, if if you're being honest and you truly don't want to have a negative environmental impact, mm -hmm. there's already three times the amount of roof on this planet for the you know the eight billion people that they say that there are. Right, whatever the whatever it really is. Right, there's so much roof, dude. It's nothing. We could stop building today, all construction done, and give everybody shelter there there's mega cities in china that are empty i was in one of the wealthiest areas of spain in marbella spain 10 years ago dude they have three-story townhomes they had a, a half a million unit townhome it was a city wow. just outside of marbella mm -hmm. Empty because the Middle Eastern sheiks were shielding their money in Spain. They will go ahead and build these massive developments and don't right. and don't fill them. And so when all the shenanigans with the Syrians and are in uh, the North Africans and they start shipping them to North Northern Europe, I was over there and I was like, wait a minute, there's half a million units right there, right next to Gibraltar. Wow. They don't have to go that far. Why is the EU pushing all these people all the way up into Sweden and Germany right. and all this stuff? I'm like, 
No, I was just in Marbella. Right. It's all the space you want. There's a half a million units right there. You could fit 10 people per unit, 5 million people taken care of. No, no. And it's just right there. Like, you know, it's a 20 minute boat ride across the Mediterranean. Right. Hey, we're done. All the infrastructure, it's right there. And by the way, it's not like that area of Spain was like economically booming. It right. wasn't like that area had like a real strong local, you know, people that didn't want none of that. It was a dying old, absolutely destitute area that its glory was probably 40 years ago. Wow. And they had all these units. So we're fed this constant consumption model because the constant consumption model feeds the debt cycle. The debt cycle then feeds us building these bullshit buildings over and over and over and over and over again. And because the new building is all glitzy and glammy and we're programmed to like it, we don't take care of the old stuff. Right. And then there's a concerted effort for the things of real quality, the things of our past that have real character and and real craftsmanship to get rid of them. There's so many ordinances in different areas where it's like, no, get rid of that. Get rid right. of that building. Yep. Don't want it. And why do they do that? You there are some very nefarious reasons, but they'll sure. say because the new the new construction people don't know how to fix the old stuff. So it's out of code. Get rid of it. That's the answer. This is the way that our past, this is the way our past is erased. This is the way the the glory and the grandeur of our of our forebears is just erased. Sure. And then the this boring is, company with Musk is just tunneling through the earth. Who knows what he's getting rid of at this point? You know, things oh like that goodness. everywhere. And so, all these images of homeless are at the entrances to these humongous buildings. They're all sleeping on the steps of these unoccupied buildings. It, That's dude, where the homeless are. Last time I was in Fort Lauderdale, there were like three moments of danger that I was at. This really? old town that I used to, you know, grew, grew up in. Can't say I ever loved it. I didn't really know what I had when I lived there. But I never liked the... There's a lot of nouveau riche energy sure. in, in, in South Florida. And I never liked that. But dude, now it's dangerous down there. There's so many homeless people. And I'm like, dude, they're building these condominiums 30, 40 stories tall with zero occupancy. If the government really cared about people, boom. It's just like if the government really cared about people, would they be giving corporations that that service debt like American Express and the accident fund and all these massive companies, would they say, okay, we're going to go ahead and leverage your profits against the natural capital that you hire? Never. But it would be a nice solution to things, wouldn't it? It's crazy, man. It's, yeah, it so it, it's, it's amazing. So like, I guess to keep the context of what we started with is like, for me, what turns me on is is really mimicking nature that's why i like you're my consigliere with music i'm like george what does this mean (laughs) what do you think of this video like because i'm trying to learn music theory because it's something that i'm retarded with 
Right. Um, and I don't know, I don't know how to play an instrument. Um, and so I'm always like trying to tune, like I can understand vibration just on an anecdotal level. Yeah. And I understand it on a physics level. How that actually becomes something beautiful and melodious to listen to is like magic to me. <laughs> it is magic. It's one of the earliest magics, you know, making, putting notes together and making them work. It's yeah. And the real magic is they've, they've worked out a system now where there's potentially less notes for the octave than we're supposed to have. And we're still managed to teach and create a, a substance, a substantial amount of music that works, but we've, we've all grown up into it. So it, we don't know the difference. Most people have never heard anything else. And Is that like the right twelve and the sixteen? Yeah, for, yeah, exactly. Because the the harmonic series of the overtones and the overtone series reveals as you go higher in the octaves that there's more notes in between an octave mm -hmm. than twelve, mm -hmm. and um, it's it's right there in nature. We've mm -hmm. had this talk when I was on your show, you know, about nature providing the answer and how these are immutable laws, mm -hmm. and they've managed to find a way to kind of fudge the numbers, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's it's crazy. You know, we were talking. And I forget which podcast it was, but like, I'm of the mind that the scale of everything now is smaller. Humans are smaller. Plants and animals are smaller. Everything's smaller now. And it's because whatever terrarium we're in, we're in the con in the, in the dense stage of it. Mm, I see. And that would pertain to music also. Sure. There would be a shrinking of of this of the what we're actually aware of or tuned to hear or even want to hear. You know what I'm saying? I I absolutely do. It's a reductionist idea that there's like I you've mentioned several times in several shows that you don't see too much of the light spectrum at all. No. And it's the same thing for notes. If we know that alpha waves are as low as they are and they affect us very deeply. And yet we can't really hear them. Maybe we used to be able to, you know, right. your, your ear does do a good job of avoiding certain things. You don't necessarily hear blood pulsing through your head as you sit there quietly, you know, so it knows to block out certain things for a reason, but maybe we were much, and I assume that we were much more in tune with all of the general frequencies available to us. You know, what I just thought of, tell me. So I had like 10 years of my life where I was a, a pretty big psychonaut, especially with ayahuasca, because right. my best friend's a shaman. And he was 100% devoted in, into ayahuasca. He'd gone down, you know, he'd, he'd been with the, the different Indians in the Amazon basin that were on the border of Colombia and, and Peru. Right. And there they go back 12,000 years. Like they literally have writings on like actual etching and rocks. Right. Is the lineage that he, he's in was 12,000 years old. And he was apparently a reincarnated medicine man from them. So as a six foot five white guy <laughs> with blue eyes, within one dieta, the, the head shaman recognized who he actually was. And he had a full he had full recall of of his lineage, dating taking him all the way to Machu Picchu. 
Okay. So anyway, this is my this is my best friend, and so he and I. And he's such an uh, he's such a a humble person, like such a good dude, natural alpha. People just want to do whatever he needs for him. Right. He's not he's not trying, and so I'm like essentially the his grounding rod in his ceremonies for quite a few years for for like a quarter of his ceremonies right and i noticed like the what the actual mechanism of action is with ayahuasca so when i would take the ayahuasca the mechanism of action is is that she lets you know what's always going on but with a greater frequency range. So your wow. visual acuity triples, right. your your um, olfactory senses triple, and your hearing quadruples. So you can hear things that you can't normally hear. You see things that you can't normally see, and you can smell things that you can't normally smell. Wow. This is why everybody barfs. Right, right. You're just, what is that smell? Oh my Because you smell your own stench. Wow. You smell the parasites. You can hear the parasites. Right. And the dieta, the whole thing is to remove the parasites from you. To get, like, the. I gained all this weight when I left Costa Rica because I stopped doing ayahuasca. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was trying to think about like, man, you know, I eat less now. I, I must be getting older. I'm exposed to more glyphosate. And then like six months ago, I was like, oh, I haven't been doing my parasite cleanses. Right. You know, if I do a ceremony or two a year, that's like that eliminates my body of the parasites. And it was very obvious. There was one one very crazy ceremony because in Central America, there's lots of parasites like there's parasites right. here, but. The jungle has some parasites. <laughs> sure. And so I this might be TMI, but I'm gonna say it anyway. So I, I run to the bathroom to to eject, and I'm literally like I can smell everything and I can hear everything. And I get in this positive feedback loop where the smelling and then that and it just like it just like my whole body was literally just wrenched. You become the vine. Because mm, you know, ayahuasca is the jagubi and the shakuna. Yeah, the combination. Yeah, is the MOA inhibitor and right. the jagubi is the vine. My body literally twisted like the vine and I've wow. harvested the vine. I've been on the side of a mountain hacking the vine off trees and stuff like that. Like, and like, I literally felt like that's like the embodiment of that is this writhing, twisting, like wrenching everything out of the body and like wow. ejected. And then you feel so much relief because the joy is after your body's had this expulsion. Now, those higher frequency ranges are no longer polluted. Mm. You know, there's this like, ah, right. Incredible. Ah, th this is, this is what it means to be clean. This is clean, clean. And so 
the frequency ranges that the normal being is. And I think you can get to those frequency ranges with with breathing, like really good yeah. pranayama. Like, you know, we have more DMT in our lungs than in our brain. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's all these ways to get there where your your body, you can get these higher levels of awareness. And I'm not one of these people that says it's the God particle. I don't believe any of that shit. I'm actually sure, very sure. practical with it. But the the expanded frequency range, if all of us could hear more and all of us could see more, guess what? The realm would be bigger. The realm would expand to match what we were actually capable of being aware of. Incredible. That's how I actually, uh, I'm a hundred percent certain that there's more land that we don't know about. Sure. I can see that. It, it really right now our consciousness as, as a collective consciousness, because we are our environment, right? We do share an environment together that is condensed down. And then there's going to be the expansion. And then there'll be a con condensate and then there'll be an expansion and, and they contract like everything else in the world, pretty much a pulsation pulsation, Absolute which pulsation. And I have way more experience with psilocybin and Amanita muscaria. I've never had ayahuasca actually. And I'm very much do look forward to trying it. Um, the, no, 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 I, I will. I promise <laughs> anyone that knows me knows I'll do it, but I, um, I've, I've never had the genuine opportunity. I was offered it once I was gigging. And because I was an assassin, just like you, man, they hired me for the same night. It wasn't exactly fulfilling, but somebody was asking me as I was playing, they're like, let me get your phone number. We're going to do ayahuasca. I'm like, where, you know, I'm playing where, like in a New York city apartment, is there a shaman involved? No, no, we're just going to have some fun. I'm like, I'm not sure if I want to do it that way. You know, right. it was pretty crazy, man. Mm -hmm. But, um, you, when you take, especially the psilocybin, the amanita is a little crazier. There is the whole, everything you look at, it's not like dragons pop out of, you know, treasure chests and jump at you. It's more like the whole, everything you see has a pulse and a life to it. It's almost like you're seeing more of what it really looks like. You know, yeah. you're getting a visual on it, a, 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 like a confirmation that not things are not as they seem. I've had the chance to be with psilocybin in the deep, deep of the forest, like amongst some of the the biggest waterfalls in Central America. Wow. And water fairies, nymphs, trolls, elves, jaguar beings. Right. Like, it nice. was all there. Like, all of it was there. Like, you know, what's in fairy tales and stuff? Yep. And this is fairy tales. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not stuff that I wanted to believe. And right. I didn't, nobody like really told me what to expect. So I didn't front load the experience with, sure. an, expect, with an expectation. But when I got to this, the part of the forest and it was just like, and <laughs> one of my cohorts was like, yeah, you, you're seeing what you're seeing. And in my times with with being in very, very like powerful temescals with peyote, that that frequency range that peyote takes you to, that's actually my what my body 
in my being prefers. Wow. Like if I, if, if ayahuasca goes ahead and like shows you everything right all at once, <laughs> in fact, that movie, everything all at once, ah. the one that just came out is yeah. an ayahuasca trip. Oh, really? That's like where it's all going on all at the same time. Wow. And it's just like, and it's just crazy. Right. Wow. That is ayahuasca. It's a perfect everything everywhere all at once. That is like, what how i would experience ayahuasca wow just so much information just information overload right all the senses <laughs> peyote is different peyote is just like and you wow. learn through the silence wow you know, so instead of hearing like the timber on everything and, like, ding, ding, yeah. ding, 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 and your attention going to that, it's more like you're now aware of all of the silence in between the notes. And that silence just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. It's like, it's like being in the desert in the dead of winter. You can <laughs> hear forever. Right. But you can hear forever because there's no noise, but you're still hearing. It's like the silence is deafening. It's truly deafening. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine. I would, I would love to though. Well, it's, um, you as a musician to have that, like it'd be like you going into like a, like if you were a visual graphic person and then you go to like an all dark retreat for three days and you don't see any light, and you're just all dark for three days. The next time you come and start to see and start to design with colors and stuff, boom. It's like with fasting, you know? You do right. a, a five-day fast and you come back, you're like, oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> you know, with my the way peyote worked in my system was like that. It was just like it took all everything just all, it simmered all the senses all the way down to where the only thing left is silence. That's incredible, man. And a much needed antidote to modern society, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be very nice. Yeah. Hard definitely. to get away from it no matter where you go. Mm -hmm. The noise. Yeah. And it, it won't, and it won't stop, you know, but it's, there's always a way you can meditate. You can find a happy place. You can find a quiet place, but kids are not dogs are not you know you're you're not going to find that pure si silence it's impossible have you ever done a sweat lodge no oh dude so you're you're agitated you're like in unbearable heat right a tamascal is just a sweat lodge but it's a masonry sweat lodge is that oh wait wait you know what when i got married we got married in mexico and then we we went inside of a clay dome we burned yes. a bunch of bush in the middle and we screamed the Temescal. I think that's I did it. do it actually. Yeah, that's a Temescal. We screamed it as loud as we could. And it wasn't very long. It was just like the, you know, vacation version. Uh-huh. But if that's what you're talking about, that's it, man. Yeah. Now that name rings a bell. Yes. Oh, that's so good. I'm glad we have that resonant pattern. Nice. Yeah. So I I built Temescals. I built them in Spain, Portugal. You know, Costa Rica, Mexico. No kidding. Texas. So the the reason why I always tell people, like if if you have the if you have 
the opportunity to do a, a real Temescal where red clay is involved, like the mm -hmm. walls have red clay. When it heats up, it releases all this far infrared. Right. And far infrared turns on your mitochondria. So the very first thing that occurs is, is like a true Temescal, they'll bring in lava rock that's red hot. And so you're getting that, that radiant energy that way. But that radiant energy heats the walls up. And the walls start to emit far infrared. And so you're essentially in a far infrared microwave. Right. Wow. <laughs> and they're usually curved <laughs> walls, so there's nowhere to hide. Sure. So your internal energy state starts to rise. So where ayahuasca throws the, the chemical compounds at you to eject the, let's say, physical parasites, and you're more aware of them, the temescal, the true temescal, raises your energy up so the energetic parasites get ejected. Wow. You get so like, like me, I'm a naturally warm person. And so being having all this rajas and like, you know, heat in my system as it is, and then the heat's rising and rising and rising and rising. It's just like, oh, <laughs> and like it literally cooks these things out of you. And then just like the, the ayahuasca experience, once it's gone, it's like relief. There was and a sense of relief in inside. I was thinking that, you know, when we got out of it, I we were asked to jump into a very cold um, cenote. Yeah. And it was, it was perfect, you know, but that's not where the relief came from. I did, exp I remember very clearly and that was a few years ago, you know, there was a, an extreme relief somewhere after, you know, they were constantly, you know, it put throwing these big leaves on top of burning leaves and maybe they weren't lava rocks actually, mm -hmm. but um, in, in, within it. And once that's why they had a uh, scream, I think at Thomas, yes. they had to scream it. And yes. I, then that was really the moment where I was, I didn't really feel the heat so much anymore, actually. Yeah, yeah, the catharsis, because right. as the energy is building in your body, it's like a steam cooker. Yeah. You know, you if you let it out one way or another, I've been in 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 ceremonies where there's both, where you you let your body make whatever sounds, and then there's other ones where it's like you hold it and you just let you like the internal cooking. <laughs> right. It's just ah uh, wow that that is that to me is the medicine of medicines. Like my body loves sauna anyway. Like yeah. sauna for me is like probably one of the most healing modalities that there is. It's like like likes like right. So fire the fire energy is like very good in that way. In a sure. real temescal, I'm thinking of building one here. I'm like I live right next to a lake, so we could just go jump in the we lake. Could jump in, yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, and, and it's cold. It's like it's a spring-fed lake, so it's cold water. And so I was like, "Huh, I should." I'm wondering, I'm wondering, because I'm not just going to build it for myself. Sure, I, I need some other people around me that are like, "Yeah, I'll do Temescal." Right, right. Yeah, so I think that would be really cool. That is cool, man. You know, that kind of brings up a question because obviously this is this piece of paper is is gone. I, <laughs> I had a question. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly what we're here for, man. This is great. Um, this has been such a wonderful talk, man. You know, I, I was curious, though, just out of pure curiosity, when you make, a, let's say, a home versus a sanctuary versus a Tamaskal, right? Are you using, well, first of all, are you approaching it completely differently? Or are you using at least, at the very least, different materials? 
Is there is there a different approach? Has your material approach involved uh, evolved also? Oh, yeah, definitely. You, you've changed what you've used. I know definitely. that you've on some show you were talking about using a different type of concrete now. Yes. I don't know if that's part of that, but bamboo. You're still using bamboo as well, I assume. Well, in Costa Rica. In Costa Rica, I, right? Right. I'm into something I call it appropriate technologies, like mm. a, appropriate materials for what what you're trying to do. I see. So I've turned down very large projects because the person was married to a certain material. Sure. And I'm like, that's not going to last. Right. In professional opinion, this is not a good idea. I'm like, this is, this is, and they hired other people to do it, but I wasn't, I wasn't, I'm like, look, people are going to lie to you. Uh huh. They're going to tell you what you want to hear because they see you as a whale and you're you're front loading things. You're telling them your preference sent beforehand. Sure. And so they're going to tell you whatever you want to hear. I won't do that because I'm not building for money. I'm building because this is this is my art. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> like you're not going to take my. You're not going to. You're not going to cheapen that. You know. You're not going to. I'm not. No. So anyway. Like Temescals are very specific. Like I won't build a Temescal without using red clay. I'll right. do, I, I do super adobe construction for that because I can fill the bags with red clay. And then I'll do on the inside of the building, I'll put a, um, I'll go ahead and use a stucco. I'm trying to think of the word that's used here in the United States. I'll use right. a stucco that will have a red a red clay in the actual stucco. So as the building comes to heat, like total heat, you get that, that effect. You get wow. the full energetic Monty with it. And I really believe in Temescals that you sit on the earth. Like you're not, there's no barrier between you and the earth. So um, I have, for the very, very expensive installation, I have used basalt rebar, which doesn't, if you use basalt rebar in concrete, it doesn't block the telluric currents of energy, but it's like eight times the cost of regular rebar. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you don't need much because Temescals are small, you know? Right. So if I just have a few lines of rebar in there so the, so the concrete floor doesn't break apart, I have some mechanical strength that's that's sufficient but i always let people know is like my preference would be if if they're if this so much of what determines what materials you use is the land that you build it on the set and setting right so i normally won't give a bid to anybody unless i go see the property sure. if i'm on the property did you see the the curtis stone uh podcast i did where he roasted my property no, I didn't see that one. So, so <laughs> he does it all via Google Earth. Like he has all these Google Earth programs where he can like, you know, 3D evaluate properties and stuff like that. And then he zooms out. And I really like that approach. I'm still sort of old school. Like if I'm going to go do a site survey for people, um, I come in and I check out the location of what they're... Th if what they're wanting is appropriate for where they want it. Sure. And I usually tell people don't build anything until you've been on the property for at least six months. 
at least six months. You know, the more north I I live, and now I would I would extend that to a year. So you go a full seasonal cycle. Yeah. To see how the light hits here at this time of year, and what trees are appropriate, and like what you're gonna take out to plant whatever. Um, I'm working with uh, Grateful Harvest Seeds with like helping. We're gonna in the future be modeling farms for people in in the in the ozark area where it's just like you take all everything into consideration the the house structure the house is like zone zero going into zone one how that how much roof you have will give you how much water you can capture Mm -hmm. that water capturing thing is very appropriate for this area because um even though it does get decent rainfall, there are still are very dry months. And anytime you can take the stress off the land, there's a, just a permaculture principle of always doing water management. Nice. You want to keep the water on your property as long as you can, but keep it on it in an appropriate way. Sure. So, that was one of my questions too. You know, it does the house factor into permaculture. It was actually one of the questions I had for you. So it has to like, cause you go from zone zero, which is your, your, your like, local space to your body right your that's usually that's your home and then you work your way out to zone six and there's even greater zones than that but um i'm a firm believer that you don't like the earth is so abundant that if you have a little bit of foresight you don't need much like so if you consider like say somebody's buying a bare piece of land they don't need 20 30 acres right you know you could get like one acre is huge <laughs> it's a lot yeah. two acres is more than one man can manage right it really is if you're gonna if you're gonna do it right and so people get these you know these huge eyes on their hand i'm like once you get too big then you're automating and then if you're automating do you have the money to actually maintain all the machines and all these other things that you're going to be using? Do you have the know-how when these machines break and let's say the grid goes down, will you have the capacity to use these things? Like really know why you're doing what you're doing. And the truth of the matter is for any normal small family, you have some chickens, you have some goats, you have some pigs, you make sure your water's unlock, get a nice greenhouse, a nice garden walls and stuff like that. Dude, you're good. Be close to like some some area that has like flush water all all year round. Right. Work on your work on your water catchment system off your roof. And man, like here, even though it doesn't rain that much, I can capture, I just have two, I I got these, <laughs> hey, the pharmaceutical companies are good for one thing. Where I buy all my barrels, I uh-huh. they had these, these bins that all the pharmaceutical uh, pills are delivered in. Right. And these bins are 90 gallons by volume and they have a four inch, uh, like a male, um, what is that called? Plug at the bottom that you can unscrew. And 
they have these huge bags and full of pills. And what they do is they just unscrew the bottom. They puncture the bottom and then they pressurize the top and it shoots right. all the pills out. Well, it's the perfect water holding tank. Wow. So I've been buying this from my, from my, um, from my barrel supplier. You know, I, I think I'm getting them for like 15 or 20 bucks a piece. Right. For 90 gallon. That sounds so for, huge. Yeah. For 40 bucks, I have 180 gallons of, of fresh water holding capacity. Wow. And I'm now making biochar, so anybody can make biochar. In fact, September 4th, I'm releasing to the world the plans of how to make your own biochar. Amazing. Kiln. I call it a rocket retort. Yeah. Um, But this rocket retort, once you make biochar, you have water filtration. Like. So you can have all this water falling and people talk about chemtrails, this, that, and the other. Yeah. No worries. You have your biochar. You have your biochar in like a cheesecloth. You run your water through that. It get, comes out on the other end, clean, clean. Wow. And that's it. Good. And then you're still vortexing afterwards, I assume? I always vortex. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't help but vortex. I'm always vortexing. No, spirals are key in so yes. many ways. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, there's so many things like with, with how to plan a property. I always tell people when you're on a property, if you, if you don't have to rush, just don't rush, be with the land. The land will tell you what you need. And I come from a, from a natural building background. Like my first homes were earth. Right. And so in that vein of thinking, nobody builds these massive monstrosities of homes. Right. All the homes have, you know, you're thinking of passive heating, passive cooling. By passive, I mean, you're not using electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, ways in which you plant around the house to actually create cool zones and hot zones. Um, and so it's a very holistic way of thinking of, of the way your home is situated on your property that's appropriate for your needs, you know? And for me, I kind of moved out of earthen building more towards using masonry products because of durability. Sure. Because once you have kids... <laughs> <laughs> And the kids are running around coloring on stuff and hitting stuff. And like, you know, I was, I was starting to see everybody that was enamored with, with earth and buildings, they were all, you know, none of them had kids really. <laughs> I see. It makes sense. They makes didn't sense. have to deal like with, there's so much maintenance that goes into these earth and buildings. And so that's why I I moved more towards super adobe and then ferro cement is because like part of sustainability to me is durability. So if you are going to build something, make it durable enough where it doesn't falter on you. And then also you're not spending all of your time trying to maintain it. Sure, sure. Yeah. But now if my washing machine doesn't break down in three years, I won't have to buy another one in three years. Right. What do you mean? <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a genuine from the heart concept, not trying to mass produce anything or give someone a reason to have to call you in two days. And so you can come back and charge money to fix everything that you just made. 
So I own for the first, you know, measure twice, cut once, right? Yeah, it might be something where I just have very low expectations. (laughs) So I'm the happiest cat in the world right now because a couple months ago, one of my neighbors here, uh, his daughter was driving his Toyota 4Runner and a deer hit the front of it. Oh. And he couldn't get it fixed before it was time to get his tags renewed. Right. And so he sold it to me for a song. Wow. And I've been enamored with the that generation forerunners forever because in Costa Rica, they have a saying. They're like, yeah, the Korean and American cars, they're for the coast. Toyotas, they're for the mountains. Whoa. And so and it, it, it's true. Like Toyotas are just built better, especially the ones that were built in Japan. And sure. my friend had a forerunner where he, he was going on the worst road in all of the Southern zone of Costa Rica. And I was sitting in the back and I, I could barely even feel the road. And I was like, dude, what type of suspension do you have on this? Like what's going right. on? And he's like, no, this is stock. So since that moment, I've been like, this is my pinnacle automobile. It's durable. It has a plush ride. Like, I actually like the look of it. And I'm wow. like, this is, for me, this is my aspirational vehicle. That's incredible. <laughs> so, <laughs> people have to know this about me. My, I, I don't have a, what is it called? I don't have um, a Lexus Dreams with a Toyota. Uh-huh with a Toyota budget. I literally have Toyota dreams of the Toyota budget. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Man. In building is like that. Like I don't like ostentatious stuff. Yeah. Like even though I build with like a lot of curves and like really cool, funky stuff and lots of custom stuff, it's still form meets function. It's not like, I'm not just doing it to do it. Like there's everything has a purpose to the reason it is and the materials that we use, the positioning, the passive heating, the passive cooling. I mean, I've gotten in knockdown drag out fights with clients where I was like, I am not going to build this house unless it's on stilts. Right. And they're like, no, uh, I want it. I want it to be grounded. I'm like, you'll be grounded. I'll ground it for you. But it needs to be on stilts. And caught so much flack for it. Like, like under, like, you know, sort of um, passive aggressive comments <laughs> right. for years. And then a flood comes in and the water comes up to the second step and then recedes. <sighs> and then they're like, okay, I guess. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, well, like, I see. Right. Professional yeah, opinions. Uh, it's really about being appropriate. There's more than one way to skin a cat. There's so many different there. That's the thing about this existence. There's so many different materials that you can use. What I try and tell people is for the things that you're going to constantly be interfacing with, Mm -hmm. you do not want to be having to deal with tons of chemicals. Sure. So a lot of the gypsum that was sold to the United States from China is horrible product. It's a, it's a toxic product. It molds. Um, and then like dealing like with water management around your buildings, making sure that the water is flushed 
away from the, the, the base and the structure of the building. I'm kind of astonished even in the Ozarks that people don't build with uh, eaves. You know, eaves are not a real thing around here. And so like water is always falling against the walls of buildings and getting wow. to the, the base of the structure. Wow. And that that for me is like a big no-no. Like I'm I'm used to building with huge eaves where the water never touches the wall if it doesn't have to. That sounds right. Yeah. And it's it's constantly being flushed away from the buildings. And so like with my domes, the majority of the domes I build, I usually build a reciprocal roof over the dome. Because for as well as you can build a dome, 95% of the time they fail. You will have water make it through a window or through a door. And so I just circumvent that whole thing. You know, I'll do the domes now. The majority of the domes that we build are out of ferro cement. So they're they're highly water resistant. Mm -hmm. But then I go ahead and put a ferro cement roof over them and that sheds water all the way from away from them. Wow. And then that also acts, that gives you a really nice insulative effect too during the hot time of year because you, you have uh, two different layers that are taking thermal gain away from the right. living space. So I, I was wondering about that, how I assume, and I'm, I'm just assuming that domes do better with heating, cooling than our good old fashioned rectangle square houses. Yeah. The studies that have been done with it are one tenth, about one tenth the energy for heating and cooling. So like wow. I talked about on Crow, like in a, in a square building, you have vertices and the vertice is a point where they, the, whatever the air won't flow into a vertice, right. it will, it will stop and truncate around it. So bugs like to go into vertices when they store water in, in cubes wherever the vertice is in the cube of water is where you get all the algae and all the fungus and all uh. that stuff. Because even if you have a pump moving the water in there, the water won't. It doesn't hit the corner, right? It won't go to the corners. Right. Wow. Yeah. And so, and I've had to clean out, like I've had to, my Asada in Costa Rica, like, like every few years, we'd have to jump into the tank and clean it. And I saw everything that Victor Schauberger talked about. So. <laughs> right. So at least with like, so with like with a spear. Right. Like, let's say this, like this is a, a mojo cell. Like if you have water that interjects just off center. Yeah. The water is naturally going to flow through this and it's going to touch all sides. Makes so that perfect there, sense. Uh, but in a cube, that won't happen. Do I even have a cube? You try and do that with a, a cube. In fact, this is very proportional to the way most water tanks are. They're usually not that deep, but wide. Right. That makes sense. And so you could shoot water in here and water is going to move like this, but it's never going to touch the edges. So it makes, its own, it makes its own circle ball essentially inside of the rectangle, right? Right. And so, and I built flow through pools. And so in a, the only time a flow, uh, flow through pool will actually work well is if there's no vertices. Wow. Cause then even the corners, you can get an eddy current that will right. clean the edges 
in a, in a in a curved edge, right? right? So I'm not saying you have to go as extreme as building spheres or eggs, even though an egg is ideal. Because an egg, a lot of people don't understand. Here, I'll show you this. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm curious. Eggs. So this is a hemisphere, right? So a dome right. is just this guy, right? Yeah. So an egg is a hemisphere with a lancet arch dome on top of it. Right. So a lancet arch dome, if you're ever to look at a vesica Pisces and cut it in half, that's the lancet arch. That's the shape that I'm making with my, and that's an egg shape. So my proportions are slightly off. So it's more. It's like, all right. It looks good. It looks good. So. Victor Schauberger was saying, like, when you shoot water into the egg, first of all, <laughs> he was very hermetic. Right. So the lancet arch part is the male. That's like the phallus. That's right. the part that you put in the ground. I see. Because the ground is feminine. Right. And then you have the hemispherical part, which is the female aspect. That's the condensate. You have that in the air, which is male. Wow. So you have all the concentration of the energy. The female is absorbing the male and then the male is disseminating. And putting into it into the, it putting it back into the female. Right. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's, <laughs> that, that's the whole hermetic knowledge is as above, so below law of correspondence, you mimic nature and the cool thing is, is if you have water coming in in this shape and right. it's spiraling down, you know, and you're going through the lancet arch, you have that spiraling, you never get a dead zone. So your original question about energy in domes is in a dome, like I use these fans uh, from Kepe Motor and oh, the fans nice. themselves. Oh, that interview, that was incredible, man. Yeah, those fans use one-fifth the energy already as a conventional fan. Right. But in the dome, it takes one-tenth the energy already right. to move air. So there's there's domes I've built. There's two domes I built. One's a 21-foot diameter sound studio, and another one was a 30-foot diameter home. And I think the highest either of their energy bills have ever been for the entire structure. And this is running audio equipment right. like all the it's time. Not. Running um, a dehumidifier because you're in the tropics all the time. Like the dehumidifier is never off. I think they've never eclipsed $70 a month. That's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, on a farm where they have stepped charging. So what yeah. that means is once you go past a certain amount of kilowatts, they double the rate. Mm. That's the way they that's the way they do it in Costa Rica. Right. That's why everybody can have electricity. Most people don't have they hardly have any real electronics in their house. Right. So there's they might be spending like 20 bucks a month. But the second you go over this one little tick, now you're paying twice as much for the same kilowatt hour. I see. And so we got really good at like figuring out, okay, like what is eating the energy? Right. And guess what, everyone? That's ha that's going to happen everywhere. This Agenda 2030 stuff and the carbon credit stuff. Yeah. Like, trust me, it's coming to a, a, a theater near you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your footprint is as big as Bigfoot. 
Yeah, because it, that's the cool thing that I got. It was like Central America kind of gave me a um, a little shot to see the future. Mm. Because, you know, Costa Rica and Panama are really amenable to the UN. Yeah. Because they're always looking for free IMF money. Of course. And um, why would they allow the canal in the first place? <laughs> right. And so in that, like, it's a big deal. Like they have, they have to follow these standards. And I've saw the maps for Central America for the, the population disbursement. Yeah. And the that whole area is painted green and green means a hundred people per square kilometer. For those of you out there that don't know what that means, that means very little people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that means like next to no one, like, you know, people are talking about Oprah's land in, yeah. in uh, Hawaii right now right. is the equivalent to one square mile. Oh. Oh my God. Right. And there's only one of her right. in that. <laughs> so <laughs> that's sort of what the the agenda twenty-one folk want for the whole for at least like the tropical zones, you know? Sure. Jeez, man. Yeah. So Absolutely I could talk about domes all day. No, of course. I mean, come on. Next time we have you on, we'll do that. We'll talk domes like strictly. You know, we went we went around into different things and you've given just you've just been inspirational really you know you can't box me in like no technically you can't box me in ah (laughs) (laughs) that's beautiful you know we'll have to um you were discussing ideas of petrification you know biological petrification we're gonna have to get into that next time so Um, here i want to before before we get off i oh yeah yeah ask you since since i have you as a captive of course i've been mulling over all of the old emails that I had with Dr. Judy Wood and rewatch like three of her videos. And they all seem older. They all seem like, you know, 13, 12, 13 years old. I don't know how much new stuff she's done. So she has this theory of um, disassociative. These are my words. These aren't her words disassociative scalar interferometry. So interferometry stands for interference geometry. Okay. So like earlier we were talking about, we are our environment, right? You know, when we come across somebody, the Venn diagram of us two together is like a third thing. Right. So her theory, at least for nine 11 was that, the static field that was created by Hurricane Aaron charged Manhattan. And then they used two other vectors. They used, I always forget what vector is what. Let's just say the horizontal vector, then they hit with an elf wave. And that's why every other car on on two different roads were flipped over. You can actually see the wave, yep. Yeah, and the elf stands for extremely low frequency. And then they hit the vertical axis with a microwave. And so I've seen people, I had an epiphany because I've, mm. all the ether physicists I knew always talked about pressure gradients. And they always talked about the magic between high and, and low pressure zones. And so 
what would be the musical equivalent of using three different types of waveforms? Because what, what she's propounding or what she used to propound, I don't know what her current thesis is, she would essentially say that they're using three different types of energy to create this scalar interferometry. Right. They would use the static, which I think is dynamic. I think that's an inversion. They use static yeah. electricity, which is dynamic electricity of potential. Then they would hit with the ELF wave, which was a, an AM signal, very, very high uh, amplitude, amplitude modulated signal. And then they would hit with a microwave signal. And then that's what would cause, would that be destructive interference? What what would you well, call that music? Because the first instinct is like, yeah, there was destruction and it must have been destructive interference, right? But that is simply a phase cancellation, destructive interference. You know, the idea that one wave at, at its peak, the other one is at, at the bottom. So they, they cancel out into a flat line. Essentially, you get a flat line which is dead, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, it's possible that it was that. But to, just to backtrack on the question first, because we can, I think we'll make sense of it if we tell everyone what I'm thinking now, is mm -hmm. that there's an ELF, a very low frequency with a very high amplitude. There's a mm -hmm. super high microwave frequency. And then there's this huge, you know, ridiculously huge hurricane offering the static off the coast because that hurricane somehow missed New York completely, even though it was basically going to hit it hardcore. And it was a nice, sunny, uh, bright, sunny day for everyone. Yeah, in, the, in Manhattan, in the entire East Coast of the United States, was in the pressure gradient between the high pressure zone that was on land in the low pressure zone. So this is what people have to understand. In fact, I, I can do this. is like, you can't have one without the other. This is scalar physics. They engineer the low pressure zone because they know nature will counteract with the high mm -hmm. pressure zone right. right next to it. And they counter rotate off each other like uh. years. And the zone that gets right pinched in between those two zones, that's where there's the greatest static charge. Sure. Makes perfect sense. And, and that uh... static charge potentiates everything. That's the thing about static is it, it makes us shock ourselves when we go to bed, you know, sure. It, sure. it saturates. There's something about static electricity that will saturate anything. So, right. so go on. I, I, yes, I, no, no, this, that's, that's worth noting because uh, people need to know that maybe not so much people that are listening to this, I assume they're at least aware of the concept, but whether not only can be manipulated, but it has been, it's on the record, you know, they do yeah. it. It's not like this is hidden information for anybody. They are, yeah. It's 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 a they've been doing it for a long time. You and, go to the highest universities in the United States. You go to Stanford, MIT. They literally have geoengineering on the docket. Right, geoengineering. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um. So what I was getting at is that, and this really does make a lot of sense now that you're saying it this way. I wasn't thinking about it until you just said it. Is that there's a really low note, there's a really high note, and then there's this huge static happening on the side. This is how chords work. You get the, the base fundamental frequency, which is the root of the chord. You get a third and you get a fifth. It takes three. You have to have three for a real chord. Mm -hmm. And without all three, you're left to wonder what it sounds like, just from a purely musical perspective, right? If you only get A and C, 
it sounds minor. If you add F underneath those, the ELF, let's say, if you add the note F, you get FAC. Now it's a major triad, a chord. Mm -hmm. And, and this is where I'm not sure if it's destructive interference because if when things are harmonious, um, their, their beats vibrate at a much more parallel rate. They, they have a way of, they, they're honing into each other, so to speak. They're not really fighting each other so much. That is what dissonance is in music mm-hmm. when there's a lot of, let's just call it destructive interference for, you know, for the conversation. So mm-hmm. I think that they are actually playing a chord. They know what frequencies to use for this specific chord. And it's clearly making waves, which is exactly what is exemplified by the cars not being every single one. It is not because some of them were painted blue. You can see right. that there are clearly it was every other. And it was happening very far away from the site as well. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. there's probably just things sporadically flying out of this. I'm sure they don't have perfect control of it. But when you see how these buildings disintegrated, they have perfect control of something for sure. And, well, here's um, the thing. The two roads where the cars were flipped, yeah. they're at 90 degrees to each other. Uh-huh. Well, that so makes perfect sense, doesn't it? She shows the parking lot next to the Hudson River. Right. Where she theorizes that one of the main signals must have been coming from mm. because every other car was flipped and you had all the toast, toasted cars on that side. Right. And then there was another, I don't know the, the geography down there, but there was another road that would have been the other access. Wow. So they were pulsing because those two buildings were off center of each other. Right. You know, they weren't, they were two buildings. So right. they had to go it wasn't down one road to hit one and they had to go down another road to hit the other. You know, it's amazing where when you see it, you would think if you're, if you really just were very totally brand new to this concept, you'd say, all right, something was shooting down into it and it just like pulled it down to the ground and disintegrated it immediately. But it's, it's far more complicated than that. Yeah. And the fact that they can actually focus it. Yeah. It's incredible. I, I wonder, you know, it's so hard to say, man. I know that there were images of this, you know, mystery white plane kind of floating around above. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Judy Woods obviously has, she's damn close to what it is. Like, we don't know. And mm-hmm. she says she doesn't know, right? She's being very clear about it in her interviews. Like, I'm not sure. But if they were, this is probably what it was. She's being very careful. She's apophatic. She says, I know what it's not. <laughs> I know what it's not. I know it's not, and I know the evi- what the evidence is pointing to. Right. It's just like most people that are flat earthers. We don't know what it actually is. Right. But we know what it's not. We know what it ain't. And like it is. You're making eight inches per mile square. Like, that's not true. Right. That's automatically gone. And constellations don't move. There's no parallax. That should be enough. Should be enough it for is. most people. But, you know, they... The other part of it is why is it why are kids' first words triceratops? Like they shouldn't be their first four syllable <laughs> word, you know. It and and <laughs> and they all the, every show and it, there's some of them are wholesome and nice, but then there's like a whole space thing. There's a whole Earth Earth image, Saturn rockets, dinosaurs. It's the same thing every single time in every show. So yeah. you got to think twice about that, you know. But same for this. If you're believing the narrative on the on the towers, oh sorry. If you're believing the narrative on the towers, I mean. It's clear that what being said happened is not what happened. And like she's saying, but with that little plane that I was mentioning, I know that there was images of it and I don't know if they're real. Anything's fakeable. 
but something did hit the towers. The planes could have been decorated missiles just so there was that fireworks for everyone, that Hollywood, that fun Hollywood fireworks that everyone needs in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, there's plenty of images where there's reflections of the planes on places where, you know, they couldn't have faked it this far as far as the plane being an invisible never was there. That seems kind of crazy. But as far as the plane not being an actual plane, I can see that too, you know, just to add to the nonsense. But there was this white plane being shown in the clouds above or in the in the sky above. And maybe that was another, maybe that is what actually you know, sets it in one spot. Well, just like the the frequency was inaudible, I think they use technology was invisible also, visually invisible. Definitely. So what I try and impress upon people was between the two buildings, there was a hundred million tons of steel and concrete. That was the the biggest, the largest buildings at the time in the planet. Right. 85% of the mass never hit the ground. I don't like, I know a little bit of physics. 85%. So her terminology of dustification is awesome because it's a new term for something that we haven't seen. Right. Because she's very big. You don't use words that aren't appropriate. (laughs) It's just like, you don't build a house out of X material if it's not appropriate. Right. So she's like, no, you, they were dustified, but 80, like dude, 850, it was 850,000. It's either 850,000 tons or 850 million. I forget which one. I don't remember either. 850,000 tons. Let's just go with 850,000 tons. Right. You know how much potential energy it would take. It would almost take a hurricane's worth of potential <laughs> energy. Ah. To eliminate ah. that. Now what what totally like got me going on like revisiting her work was with the shenanigans in Hawaii. Yeah. They had Dora to yep. the south of them. Yep. But I looked at the pressure gradient map. Guess where the line of the potential energy was? No kidding. Right in that right spot. Right off huh? the north of Maui. Because Dora was like 600 miles to the south. Yeah, it was far. Right. So when I brought this up to a few people, they were like, Ooh. I'm like, no, no, no. It's not about the hurricane. The hurricane's not doing the damage. Right. It's the pressure gradient that the the low pressure system, wherever there's a low pressure system, there has to be a high pressure system. Right. That's a tenet in scalar physics is you engineer the environment for the effect that you want. That's a core tenet in scalar physics. So for scalar interferometry, scalar interference geometry, they're interferencing, right. interfering with the geometry of something Door is down there. There's the potential energy. There's a high pressure unit up here. It's a yin yang. Right. The line that connects one to the other. Where is it going over? Maui. Right in that spot. You know, it's funny that there's hurricanes involved in both. It's just what a coincidence, right? And I would love to see the weather reports of what of yeah. Paris. Yeah. Because here's another thing is like you can create a massive, massive, massive high pressure. Um 
through fire. So they found this like with these fire bombings that, the, that they've done, especially when they yeah. do them with white phosphorus. That creates what we call in, in, in the, because I build ovens, I build all different right. types of earthen ovens and things like that. It builds a, a heat stack. Right. So you end up getting this massive convection current. That's why like rocket stoves are like, you have all this heat Such flying up, hurling yeah. out of the top of it. Right. Well, they found with these white phosphorus fire bombings that they do, they end up getting hurricane winds going towards the fire because the fire is burning so hot, it needs air to to combust. Right. It's sucking it in. It sucks everything in towards the center. Guess what that is? That's a high pressure zone. So what would that create? There's an inverse near there somewhere. Right. A ultra low pressure zone. That right would in that spot. And, and so you'd have a, you'd have the static differential. No, it makes sense. And this is a very common physics concept. If people aren't familiar with the whole, you know, like what air is coming in, I don't get it. Picture your faucet. When you increase the amount of pressure on the water, it actually thins out because yes. it, it, gets, it gets, you know what I mean? It's the same thing for these columns of that you're, that you're discussing. Yeah. So this is very clear, obvious, provable stuff. And um, I know the reports were that the wind was coming from inland south, which is totally not, shouldn't be the way it is. So that wind was actually approaching this spot. Yeah. It makes yeah. perfect sense, actually. It's, and it doesn't, it doesn't make sense for the narrative, though. <laughs> but it makes I, perfect sense for what you're saying. I hate to sound cold and callous because I'm still at the what of it. You know, before I get emotionally involved. Yeah. You know, before I let like the discipline I'm trying to engender in myself is not to get emotionally attached to anything before I really feel like I know the what of it. Mm -hmm. Now, I had friends that I had built for in Costa Rica that lived outside of paradise, California. So when the really? whole paradise thing happened, they had been talking to me for years about all the shenanigans that were going on in that area. So I had like zero doubts. And then like seeing the drone footage of like whole neighborhoods being, I won't say dustified, but let's just say again, like I burn, I, I, I'm constantly lighting things on fire for biochar. Right. Different things have different colors at, when you burn them. And the one thing I noticed about the paradise venue or the paradise pictures in the Maui pictures was that all the, the soot, all the ash. Right. Ash. Ash. <laughs> was the same color. Hmm. That's not the way fires work. Right. So even people like, let's say, yeah, let's say it was just a fire and the fire jumped and it did this. The fire, first of all, a fire to take down the masonry building is much different than a fire that's going to take down a little tiki hut. Right. And guess what, guys? It's going to leave a different color ash. So why am I seeing the same color ash everywhere? That's a question I haven't heard yet. That's great. That's a question worth asking. Because even as a gardener, like as a, I'm a gardener, I'm a permaculturist. I use yeah. ash on my plants. Right. So the whiter the ash, the more calcium there is, the more yellow the ash is, the more phosphorus and sulfur groups there are. Wow. Like you get to know your ash. Yeah. And being a natural builder, you're like, okay, if I'm going to build with lime, 
I'm going to mix this type of ash in there. Like I'm an ash connoisseur. Right. <laughs> my, my wife makes fun of me because she's like, you can't go past a pile of anything without being like, Ooh, what can I build with that? Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really am. I'm like, Oh man, that clay looks so good. I wonder if anybody wants, you know, like that's so cool. Because you can amend, like if you have really red clays, you need really white ash to give yourself a binder and to, mm. to firm it up. There's all these different things that natural building teaches you. And so I'm looking at these pictures and I'm like, okay, it could be an artifact of whoever's taking the pictures. Sure. But the other day, there was some realtor that was taking a 4K video with like a nice DJI drone and he's yeah. just flying over. Dude, it's uniform. It's one of these 4K videos. And I'm like, that's it. I don't know what it is, but I know what it's not. You know what it's not. <laughs> and it's just, it's so, it's horrifying that this is even, we shouldn't have to be discussing this right now. I mean, we're talking about murder, you know? Yeah. It's really. Really yeah, something. that's the thing is I, I have to say I'm, I've I've stayed cold and heartless with this just because I if I get emotional and I start letting the lens of emotion color mm -hmm. things, you know, I'll, I'll start to have like a vendetta action in my system. Sure, sure. I understand that. So I'm I'm still looking at it like letting my my scientific side be like. Let me just look at the evidence. Yeah, let me look see at what... like. Let me just see what 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 is what. So I don't even listen to commentary. I just watch video. Sure, just take a look at it, you know. And and yeah. even if even if you're not a conspiracy theorist or truth or whatever you want to call it, even if that's not on your radar and you have, you don't want any of it, the way that they handled the whole situation afterwards and the siren not going off, all of oh. that is pretty despicable. So I think that a lot of people died, even if it was a good old fashioned fire caused by whatever they say it is. It's a, it, it was despicable. You know, people have yeah. to be upset at least about that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the kids, man. Yeah. I know they I know. called school off that day and all the kids right. were home like right. that. That's horrific. But that to me is like going back to the, like, Hey man, human sacrifice, whether it's war or land grabbing or whatever, it never went away, man. It never went away. We just went through like what two and a half years of you know the crown, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, that was a human sacrifice. Like people, like definitely. so, it's nothing in my consciousness. I've gotten slightly callous to it in the sense of like I'm not surprised by it. Sure, sure, and, that, and nobody should be. And that's probably what we should end this on because I'm going to have to get going. Sure, Part sure. of the reason why I also build these dome homes is that they're extremely resilient. Because I know in my in my bones that if if you're in a wood framed home, you really have no chance for right. what's coming. Sure, sure. I completely I don't, agree. And people build beautiful wood framed homes. I get it. I understand. It's easier. I understand. But fires, whether they're natural or not, all the different quote unquote climate change, at least get something on your property 
that you know can handle it. It can be something super small. Yeah. You know, even if it's just like a, a you know, a tornado shelter. <laughs> right. Dig something into the ground if you can't put something topside. But even like building like a little super adobe dome, like 12 foot diameter where you guys can just hole up let whatever is coming through come through and then you're fine. Something that has a level of resilience in it because when they tell us climate change is coming, it's because they're engineering it mm-hmm. and they're engineering it because they want all the land back. Sure. <laughs> Their hundred year cycle of debt is up. And so the, the Kings and the Queens, they want their, their, their surfs back. They want the, they want their their land back and they and the neo feudalism aspect of of things. There's a great desire on their part to reinstitute that. The way we combat that is we're resilient. We see what's appropriate, and part of the male warrior spirit is to be looking at the horizon. The male is always looking at the horizon. His attention goes out to see what marauders are on the horizon. Right. And it's part of our responsibility to say, hey, look, it's all great and groovy, crypto, CBDCs, whatever, like all that stuff. The truth of the matter is our history is a history of conquest. Like over and over and over and over. And to the victor goes the spoils. Whether you want to believe that or not, whether you say it should be or it shouldn't be, does not matter. <laughs> right. You can meditate all you want and like hope for better, you know, things. It's not going to be the, the final response. Force will be coming your way. One way or another. So how do you deal with that? How can you use the Aikido of life? You don't build a box where if they generate a windstorm, the box gets the roof blown off of it. Right. The three little pigs story. Right. They actually look at us like in, I read the UN stuff for agenda 21. We are classified. We're technically classified as filters. A lot of people don't know that. So that makes a lot of sense with the, uh, with the chemis. Yeah. (laughs) Dude. We are animals to them. Rocks have as much right as human. We're just natural capital in their perspective. So don't get upset about it. Don't go, woe is me. Uh, there's always been the fucking Attila the Hun and the, you know, Eric the Great. They've always been right there. <laughs> yep. it, it, the story rhymes. So in that, okay, get yourself a little piece of land that's viable good water, store some food, learn how to ferment things. Ferment, ferment, ferment. You could last a long time with like, you know, 20 or 30 gallons of fermented vegetables. Like you'll, sure. you, yeah, we you, just started doing it actually. It's very exciting. Yeah, you'll survive. Like ferment, ferment, ferment. Get, you know, 10 people close to you. Like I love the Owen Benjamin, you know, 10 friends within 10 miles mm. and have at least one structure. If you can't afford your main structure this way, doesn't matter. Have at least one structure that if the tornado sirens go off or the hurricanes come in 
or the wildfires coming that you know you can get your family into, shut the door and let it pass and you'll be fine. And give, give yourself that peace of mind because it's abundantly obvious that the, the, the siren song has been sung. <laughs> you know, it's kind of odd because the sirens didn't go off. It, I know, I know. I was, <laughs> I was thinking that. But that's the real siren song. It's the inverse. Remember, they invert everything. Everything. We always have to watch for the inversions because that's what tricks us the most until you wake up. Right. Because good people can't ever imagine what it's like to be evil and to think evil thoughts. Exactly. So they need people like... <laughs> You and I to be like, hey, uh, you know, it's inverted. The siren right. didn't go off, so that's the siren song. You know, just, yep. just be, be alert, be aware, and, you know, fortune favors the bold, and if you're proactive, the energy will come to you one way or another. The money will come to you, whatever is needed for it to happen. If you are certain that you and your provider or you and your creator are in jurisdiction with each other, you're not externalizing authority, the energy will come for you to be ready one way or another. And then if it doesn't happen, then you got a cool like little place for your kids. Nice. Yeah, that's a good point. Absolutely. Or like the in-laws can come and stay or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Your mother-in-law can go stay out in the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get the outside spot for you <laughs> yeah. and but just give yourself that even if it's like a nice little you know basement area or like our new home that we're designing i'm not going into the ground because it's too rocky but i'm gonna right. i'm building a literal like safe room in the dead center first story of the house and Hey, if if the good Lord takes us in that thing, then we were meant to go. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so oh, either way, man. it's a fun it's a fun obstacle course that we're in, and uh, it's just one of those things like you know shed shed the idealism, shed the uh, the notion that there aren't forces greater than you at work, and you know just just watch the horizon and see what's coming. Yeah, I. It's great words from a great man, Topher. I really appreciate it. I think that you've outlined something that people usually get pieces of it at one at a time and say, "Well, how do, what am I? What do I do about this? What do I do about this?" You pretty much just laid it all out. I mean, mm-hmm. you need to be able to survive some catastrophe, mm-hmm. even if it's just a little something that you have, mm-hmm. and then you you go from there. If you if you have the right energy, it will come. Yeah, the things you need will be there. Yeah. And the people that you need will also be there too. Because Definitely. usually after something like this, you realize who your friends are, especially with something like the C word that happened very recently and a bunch of other things. But unfortunately to end with this, uh, this Maui thing does feel a little different this time around. It feels more like there's just so many more people throwing out footage and spotting things. It's um, it could, and, and YouTube just changed their policies as far as, you know, talking negatively about vaccinations and and cures and things like that so there's a there's something approaching immediately for sure yeah. there's a few mass mandates came back it's just things to be on the radar we don't want to fear monger 
Mm-hmm. You know, we, of course, that's not what we're really doing, but they're doing it. So we're just trying to make people aware of what mm-hmm. they're seeing. Because some people see these things and they're, it, they're actually not even reacting that much to it. Like, oh, wow, that sucks. And they don't realize how impactful these events are. Um, mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're going to be more frequent. We've got a winter coming up. Who knows what it's going to be like? I, I shoveled once last winter in New York. Once, and it was melted by the halfway through the day, and that was it. Mm-hmm. That was weird. There's barely yeah. any mosquitoes here in Kentucky. What's up with that? Where yeah, the there's barely any here, too. Where are the mosquitoes? <laughs> yeah, we're not far from each other. Yeah. So I, I think to leave it there is, you know, think ahead. Definitely look to the horizon, but you, you can't simply, you also can't simply just meditate and peacefully, you know, wish for everything. There is work. There's always work. It's the thing that doesn't, that shouldn't need to have to be said. You have to work. You have to work at what you want. You have to work at mentally being there all the time. It's hard just to stay there mentally sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the work. Yes. But it, it, it comes and people like you can show uh, the world really that it is possible. And mm-hmm. I appreciate you so much, man. Thank you. Jorge, this has been great. This was a great talk. And now, why don't you quickly drop your website one more time where people want to find you about any of your services? So TopherHQ.com is my clearinghouse. This is where I have a bunch of my latest buildings and my podcast. I host the Bio Charisma podcast, which you've been a wonderful guest on. And um, I'm on Instagram as Bio Charisma, Facebook as Bio Charisma, YouTube as Bio Charisma. I think on all the podcast players were uh, the Bio Charisma podcast. Um, yeah, and then this, like I said, early September, I'm releasing my Rocket Retort, which I'm really excited about. That's like 12 years in the making. Amazing. So um, I'm releasing the plans for that, and uh, I'll have all that up on the website. We're going to add a little store to the website. Cool. And then I'll have consulting services for everything that we talked about today. That's great. I'll be sure to air this be- well before that September 4th date in case anyone can catch a line from anyone that watches this because I'd love for that to happen. I'd love to help spread the spread the love as much as I can. Wonderful. And thank you again, really. This has been so wonderful. I'm honored that you were uh, willing to join me here. My pleasure. All right. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for watching. And I'll see you guys next time. I've got plenty more where this came from. Uh, third, I edify, third, I edify. Thank you.